consumers' minds. Where should those advertising dollars be invested? Should they go to a platform like TV that reaches a mass audience, or should it go to a niche audience through one of digital's ever-growing number of doors to a specific demographic? What about investing in an experiential activation? While it might seem like a platform that reaches a smaller number of people, NZME's General Manager of Content Marketing and Experiential, Cassie Roma, says it has the potential to reach big audiences while still creating meaningful connections. In today's episode, we chat to Roma about the misconceptions about experiential marketing, where New Zealand marketers could improve, and what they're getting right. Hi Cassie, how are you? I'm good, thank you very much. So I guess before I jump into the questions, do you just want to give me a rundown of your experience in experiential marketing? Sure. I mean, uh, although experiential is pretty much um, kind of a newcomer to the market these days, it's kind of where um, all marketing started, right? Just getting out and talking to people and making sure that brands were telling their stories, sampling their products, etc. So for the last 10 years, I've worked mostly in digital and social media in New Zealand, and mostly client side as well. Mm -hmm. But from an experiential perspective, I've been more of somebody who's grown as it's matured. So from, um, take my last job, for example, at Air New Zealand, we did a lot of experiential, but it was always just kind of part and parcel to how we told the story, which is why here at NZME, it's, um, it's been really excited to work alongside heaps and heaps of brands that are doing the same. So my actual experience in it is that it's always kind of just been a part of what we've done, now it's just got a, a traditional mm -hmm. name to it. So you've seen it now from client side and from the perspective of a media company. Is there any differences in how each one approaches experiential marketing? I don't think so. I think um, because what we're doing at NZME specifically since I've been here um, is we take exactly what the client is looking for and really delve mm -hmm. into their objectives and their brand story and the, their kind of persona and their aura, which is what we did when we sat within the brands themselves. So we look at each different um, brief or brand objective and kind of answer the question creatively the same way we would were we sitting in there. So we quite often like to take off our quote-unquote marketing hat here mm -hmm. and put on our normal human hat mm -hmm. and approach it from the ways, how would somebody experiencing this feel about the brand? And we like to call it the happy tickle or that <laughs> dopamine rush about um, brand, so that, that kind of brand resonance. And that's what we're trying to drive when, when we're approaching any experiential project. Cool. So compared to you know other forms of more traditional marketing that certainly have a mass reach, like TV, experiential campaigns might not reach as many people. So why would a company invest in experiential? Right. So I think that's kind of a misnomer and maybe um, one of those misunderstandings out in the market was mm -hmm. that just because an experiential activation or a campaign might not touch 2 million people, might instead touch 20, um, that it doesn't reach those two million. So I think um, experiential in its, most, in its most beautiful form is to create brand resonance and consideration mm -hmm. and to drive, you know, whether it's a sampling of a product or something else. But the whole point about that and my thing that I love about it from a storyteller's perspective is that you're, you're creating content off the back of it. Mm -hmm. We know that when people go to an experiential activation, 50% of them, so one in two people, are going to be creating video content off the back of that mm -hmm. and then sharing that out. And that's just, that's part of it that you cannot buy. But what you can buy afterwards, <laughs> once somebody cuts a good story or creates um, a piece of content that the brand really likes, is you can amplify and distribute that depending on who your target market is. So you can reach the main audiences. You can reach a quote-unquote TV size audience by only kind of 
touching 20 people. So are you seeing brands do anything themselves to push the activation out, or is it a case of you know, seeing what people that visited it and participated in it I think, created? I think both, and it's, it's, it's really neat to watch it in the New Zealand marketplace because mm -hmm. it, is, it is kind of this, this really highly engaged kind of consumer that we're dealing with, and it's interesting to see how brands kind of go forward with that and we've moved away, which I love, from going, let's make this go viral because that used to be my kind of, my death buzz buzzword. <laughs> and I go, ooh, you can't really make something go viral. But what brands are doing really, really well is integrating the, the strength of people sharing and UGC. And a lot of the time getting, you know, really smartly aligning influencers or talent alongside it mm -hmm. so that people are already watching and then will want to take part or want to watch or want to share organically. And off the back of that, the real smart brands from a storytelling perspective again, are then putting some money behind the amplification distribution just to kind of turn the engine and then let it start running on its own. Other than what you've touched on, what other benefits do you see to experiential campaigns? So some of the other benefits that I see to the experiential campaigns are not only the one-on-one -on -one time mm -hmm. um, that you just you just cannot literally buy in, in a programmatic buy, mm -hmm. um, are that the brand is getting out there and actually showing that they care about their customers and that they're doing something that's that's usually highly targeted to to an area and to a certain type of person. And it's almost like giving back. It's, you know, the entertainment or education, inspiration, all of those pieces, people are able to do in a very, very finite, personal way. And that shows a lot of the time that brands care and they're investing back into their customers and then again can share it more widely from a content distribution point of view. Cool. And again, you've already touched on the misconception that experiential campaigns n might not reach as many people. Are there any other misconceptions sorry, that you see out there? I think a lot of the time there's just confusion around what experiential is. Mm -hmm. I know even internally here um, at NZME, we, we had some big discussions around what's the difference between a, a radio engagement and activation brand piece mm -hmm. versus experiential. And a lot of the time, um, the experiential piece is, is quite white label and it's quite the brand is the center point and the person who is interacting with the brand is the center point. And then we become the helper and the distribution channel instead of interacting and acting in partnership of brands. So I think a lot of the time it's just explaining to people too that um, it doesn't have to be expensive. So when we go out to market, people go, we don't need a 40 foot container and 15 people out activating and all of these things and we don't have $50,000. And we go, well actually if you just back it right back up and look at some of the really cool international examples, there are some people rolling out with some clever almost commonsensical ways of selling a product or, or doing some PR around a product that, that cost virtually nothing but give back the brand a huge return in virality and content um, promotion. So you just mentioned the international examples. Do you have any of your maybe top picks of international examples that you've seen? Sure. If, um, if we start more, I guess, recently, <laughs> my favorite one so far this year has been um, Hulu. And they're kind of, mm -hmm. they're, they're press push out to um, South by Southwest for their new show, A Handmaid's Tale. Mm -hmm. And instead of going, we are going to spend lots of money on digital advertising and big out-of-home displays and everything, they dressed up, I think it was about 12 women in the kind of guise of the characters on the show and had them walking around in a very almost ghost-like, zombie-like, methodical, mm -hmm. straight-line way at South by Southwest and started to kind of tweet out from their account about 
ask them a certain question about going down by the river, see what they do. Do they turn left? Do they turn right? And it was just strategically placing these almost creepy looking figures within the South by Southwest environment that caused the absolute biggest, coolest kind of social media uproar I thought of, of South by Southwest this year. And I imagine the spend behind what Hulu did was very, very small in comparison to say, um, a Coke Zero, mm -hmm. who on the other side of the coin did an amazing job with their drinkable ads last year, and across yeah. experiential. So they they made uh, they partnered with Shazam and to drive more. I think it was to drive more men to trial Coke Zero in the states. They had um, drinkable ads across TV, radio, out of home, experiential, in event, and that would have cost the moon, but it was amazing as well. So I think you can put. There's a dichotomy between the two in cost, but in the experience itself, mm -hmm. what they did is they put the person who was experiencing it first, which made it really successful. So now coming back to local, have you seen any great examples here? Some really cool examples. Of course, um, definitely want to want to give props to the team at NZME who rolled out um, some great stuff last year before I got here. One of the best ones I've seen since being here was um, a PlayStation iteration that. Um, we did out at Sylvia Park, and it was it was completely white label. There was a 40-foot container, a 20-foot container, I think, completely skinned around PlayStation. And the point was that we wanted to drive uptake of the new kind of VR goggles mm -hmm. for the new PlayStation games. And over the course of, I think it was two or three days, 350 people came through, and at seven minutes a pop, one-on-one -on -one engagement, we sold out the local shops of the VR headsets mm -hmm. and had over 40 hours of brand time one-on-one -on -one with people who were their customers then, and then were able to help kind of tell those stories a lot wider. So that wow. was really cool. Again, back to Air New Zealand, because it's, it's one of my most um, mm -hmm. recent memories. We used to do lots of really neat, fun activations and experiential pieces. Last year, one of the best ones that I thought we did that was quite clever was um, a bus to Hawaii. Did you see that one? Yes. Yes, yes, yes <laughs> where we convinced people to get on a bus that was unbranded and said we were taking them to Hawaii, and they ended up in a place that was labeled Hawaii and Mount Eden, obviously with a twist. And again, getting those people on and sharing their stories wider kind of allowed the brand to talk more widely about product offerings. But again, back to the happy tickle and dopamine rush um, created a lot of that as well for the brand. So I've just seen some um, a lot of positives that people are doing, but are there some things that marketers should be careful or aware of um, when going to create an experiential campaign? Sure, I think first and foremost, and this is what I tell my team here as well and everybody else, and I know it's probably preaching to the choir, but it's, it's be commonsensical. Um, I think sometimes as, as marketers and creatives, we try to get too clever mm -hmm. and over-egg things um, when we can just, again, take that marketing hat off for a few minutes and go, how, how would this help not only the brand hit its objectives, but the people who are experiencing it really want to share it. So if 50% of people are going to share an experience, how do we get 75% or 100% to get on board with that? Mm -hmm. And that's just about being really smart and tactical about how things are rolled out. Mm -hmm. Nothing has to be super expensive, but I think clever is key. Clever and commonsensical is key. So you just talked there about 50% of people wanting to share it. Are there any issues or concerns about people not wanting to engage with an activation? Or are Kiwis you know, quite eager to get on board when they see stuff. <laughs> I think the best thing that I've always loved about Kiwis now 15 years on in New Zealand is that they're always willing to give something a go mm -hmm. and as long as the experience whether it goes from product sampling all the way through to a VR experience like a PlayStation experiential piece 
kiwis, for the most part, will try it. And you really don't need mass to create a cool buzz around something. Um, you could have 10 people really highly engaged in something or a thousand, and you could still grab similar brand, I guess, success and, and measure it off the back of that, depending on the story you tell. So again, who are we talking to? How are we selling it? And then how do we share it? Do you see any other areas that um, New Zealand marketers could improve in the space? I think, again, New Zealand marketers are quite clever. Um, I've traveled... Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> I've traveled abroad a bit in the last probably um, five years, just, just going to conferences, trying to educate, watching the trends, really just digging into what people are doing and how they're doing it. And we've mm -hmm. got some real, real clever marketers. And I think one of the best things that I see here is that people just don't jump onto a trend because it's a trend. Kiwis are very, as a whole, quite measured in what they do and um, are still willing to try new things, but test and optimize and learn. So I don't think, I can't say, I can't say a bad word about Kiwi marketers, to be fair. So um, I guess my final question, looking into the future, at, at the moment there's certainly a big debate going on about reaching mass or, you know, targeted valuable moments with people. So where do you see this debate going in the future and where do you see experiential fitting into that? I see the debate continuing <laughs> because I think there's, um, there's room for both of those. I think there's definitely times when brand need, brands need to reach a mass audience. I think there are times when it makes sense to have a real strong proposition in market and a real strong push to out of home, to digital. I think that's, that's the bread and butter to the longevity of, of big brand messages. Mm -hmm. and, it has, and it has to have that longevity, that long tail. But on the same side as that goes, there also has to be hyper-targeting on the other end. So, you know, we need a sweet fix and we also need a long burn. And I don't think that will ever change. And I think experiential fits into that the same way that tactical digital marketing fits into it and the same way that branded content and telling stories alongside, say, perhaps a media owner mm -hmm. goes as well. It's all part and parcel to dependent on where the brand is, what their objectives are for a specific campaign or quarter, and then rolling with it there. But I think the debate will live on, and it's a good, healthy one to have. <laughs> awesome. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add? No, thank you for having me. I no, really enjoy it. And if you guys haven't tried experiential marketing, um, come in and have a chat or just, just give it a go. Again, it doesn't have to be big and bad and bold and expensive. It can be clever and, and you know concentrated and still give you a lot of... Um, return to whether you're a big brand or, or a small SME. Cool, thanks. Great to have you, Cassie.